Hi, this is Tony Teagarden, the founder and creator of TonyTeagarden.com, and you're listening to the App Guy Podcast. The App Guy Podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, it's Paul Kemp, and uh, this is the show to help you. So if you're an indie app developer or someone who's working and wants to get into the app world or do something that involves developing an app or just learning about the journeys of other inspirational people, this is the podcast for you. What I do is I go out and I get some great interviews and I have a chat with some awesome people and then present that to you for your benefit. So thanks for listening to this podcast. So today I have uh, Ali Marwani, Ali Malirani, and he is the founder of MenuSpring. And MenuSpring, just go and have a look at the website. Just type in MenuSpring into Google and you'll see the, the website. Absolutely awesome. We're going to get totally involved in this. It's got a, a, a one app on iPhone and Android about to launch. So Ali, it's a warm welcome to you on the App Guide podcast. Thank you, Paul. So first of all, it would be great to just learn a little bit about you and what, what inspired you to launch MenuSpring. Complete craziness and madness is the way I put it. Uh, <laughs> I, I lived in New York for a very long time. I was there for about five years. Um, and I moved out to London to come to business school here at London Business School. Um, and after business school, even while in business school, I, I realized that all the websites or even apps in London just didn't do London food justice. Um, you had stuff like Time Out and Square Meal and View London, but they only covered a small subsect of restaurants in London. Uh, and, and our day-to-day basis, we eat out at far more varied types of restaurants. And, and I wanted to create something that gave London, um, gave a more comprehensive view of London. London's very diverse, far more than New York is, but it's also, it's also bigger than New York in that aspect. So it's just a matter of creating, bringing all the information together to create a complete dining experience on your phone is what the aim was. And I've got some experience here. I mean, I actually run another podcast called The Entrepreneur Dad Podcast, where I talk totally about my uh, journey so far in life, the first 12 episodes. And I lived in London for about 12 years uh, before I then moved out when I had kids. Uh, I cannot remember uh, cooking <laughs> all that entire experience. <laughs> I think I must have eaten out loads. And it is part of the fabric of London. It's so important. And uh, why why just London, though? Why did you focus on that? Are you planning on expanding, or is, is London going to be the sole focus of your your experience? No, I think for us, London is a test market. Um, for us, it's, it's about expanding the product. But given how diverse London is, and you have people from all over the world being in this country, you have such different varied cultures, food, cuisine, um, that's here, it was the ideal place to test something like this out. And it kind of sits in the middle of the developing world. And it develop, I think <laughs> this sounds a little wrong, but the U.S. in terms of apps and development phases and life cycle is far ahead in some ways. Um, and London for us was, was a great little point uh, where we could test things out. Um, U.S. is hyper competitive. The markets are really big. <clears throat> but if in the developing world, you're not competing with some of the bigger players in this market. Um, and so for, for us, this was the ideal spot. Plus, I was here. I was in business school. Uh, I got a lot of help from, from my colleagues in school. So it was the ideal place for us to go try this out. Um, one of the things that dawned on me much afterwards uh, was that 
the app no longer has to be good enough, right? You're competing with some of the biggest players in the space, whether it's be whether it's Yelp or Open Table or Top Table. They're multi or just eat for that matter. They're billion dollar companies. Um, so you have to create a product that's far better than anything else in the market, which which at times can be fairly daunting. Yeah, well, Ali, I mean, we had um, one of the earlier episodes on this show, actually, um, talking about the millennial generation and the apps just have to be now wildly useful, not just, uh, you know, a good experience, but absolutely an amazing experience. And uh, so we can talk about that. But what I want to pick up on right now is the apps to tribe listening. Some of us are still in uh, school, you know, London, you go to London Business School. Uh, Can you talk us through the early steps? You've had the idea. Uh, for this uh, project, what did you do to, to kind of make that a reality? How did you go about starting? Um, in all honesty, I've been I've been sitting on this for a fairly long time. Um, I, I'm passionate about food. I love my food. I go out and eat a lot. I, I cook a fair bit. Uh, but I but I realized that there was something lacking in in the online review world, for that matter. Trying find a restaurant. Anytime I tried looking for restaurants, I was opening up 5, 10, 15 sites. Um, and every one of those sites had a different review about a restaurant. You know, you can have some restaurants where you'd go from, two, even if you type into Google, you'd go from two stars to four and a half stars on the same restaurant. Um, that doesn't tell you anything. That just creates more of a confusion. Uh, and so that was kind of the starting point. How do you make that journey really simple? And, and while in business school, I started playing around with the idea. In this day and age, it is actually fairly easy to start something up. This is a pure trial basis, right? You can spend a couple of months, uh, a few thousand pounds, dollars, whatever, to get a basic sense of, hey, does this idea have legs or not? Uh, and, and for me, it was that journey being like, hey, if I push this out, if I speak to enough people, does this idea have legs or not? I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people who start companies, um, get very protective of their ideas. They, they somehow worry that someone's going to steal their idea. Uh, unless until you have a billion dollar idea, which I don't think a lot of people have, which in that case you should patent it, most, most of the ideas evolve over time. And so the more people you talk to, the more, <clears throat> more people you share your ideas with, the better the idea is going to get. Uh, and that was the initial step. Hey, I want to start sharing this with people uh, and get some feedback. I think that was the initial bit. Uh, just talking to a lot of people, talking to a lot of restaurateurs, talking to a lot of um, investors for that matter um, and the way i looked at it was vcs are my consultant they get paid to tear apart business ideas and business plans uh, so let let them punch holes in my ideas and so i can minimize my risk at the end of the day and that's that's how i went about doing it just getting a lot of feedback and of course there would be a lot of naysayers and a lot of people telling you hey this market's really competitive but it's going to be your gut call at the end of the day is this worth going after or not and for me it was it was it was a small step. I was like, you know, let's go try it out. If it doesn't work, whatever, I'll go find a job. Um, but if I, <laughs> I mean, that's the worst thing. What was the fallback? Uh, so, so you did this full time then. You uh, started uh, getting feedback from restaurants. Did you take venture capital money? I, I guess you pitched to venture capitalists to get their time. Uh, did you end up uh, bootstrapping the idea or, or uh, taking uh, venture capital money? No, I've bootstrapped this through and through. I've raised a little bit of money from friends and family. Um, but it was, it's was it been a bootstrap journey through and through. Our team's grown substantially now, but uh, the initial phase, it, it was it's a tough ride. Uh, part of me regrets. I, in hindsight, I don't know. I'm not sure if I should have taken money earlier or not uh, because it makes it, it makes it a far harder journey at that point in time. Uh, but no, we haven't raised any VC funding yet. Um, the aim is to do some funding round very soon and probably hopefully in the next few months. 
Um, yeah, well, we've, we've had a lot of uh, startup founders on this show who have gone through that experience. So happy to like connect you with some of those. You, you know, when you said uh, it was it was good to go out and test to see if it had legs, I'm just wondering uh, what uh, the results were to, to prove to you that it had legs. I'm guessing that you started off with the website, uh, the MenuSpring website, and you you kind of tested the traffic, and then you realized that it's it's actually a viable option. Um, Perhaps you could talk us through, you know, how you, how you knew it had legs. Well, uh, for me, it was looking at comparables in the American market, right? I knew there were websites in the U.S. that worked that did something fairly similar, um, and it had legs there. The, uh, the websites worked there, so there was no reason the idea should not work here. At least that was my hypothesis. Uh, at, at the last year, two, the, the, the journey for the last few years... Uh, has at times pushed me to a point where I'd be like, am I really right about this or not? Because building something and marketing something are two different things. And I, I think sadly I realized that a little too late. You assume that just because you build something amazing, people are going to come to it. That's not the story. Um, you have to create real value. And you know, some of the websites in the U.S. started in late late 90s, early 2000s. I think it was far easier to get traction on your site back then. Uh, now there's so much noise on the app on the web on the on the web space that even if you create some website with some basic utility, you're acting exactly like an incumbent player in that space. Um, and so, why should somebody come to you? Uh, so you have to continuously push that boundary. And for me, that journey happened a little bit later. But as a starting point, yes, I knew there were some comparables in the U.S. market that had legs, and I just went and copied them as a starting point. And then I had a great little professor at business school just kept on saying, why are you copying the incumbents? If you're going to act like the incumbent, why should they come to you? So you have to create something new and exciting. Oh, that's a lovely point, actually, Ali. Create something new and exciting. And so uh, you mentioned about noise in the marketplace. I'd love to kind of dig into feedback and the importance of feedback. And I understand that you, uh, in the early certainly stages of uh, your journey you went out to the restaurants uh, to vcs uh, and got feedback was that, was that was that actually physical meetings that you set up and going around and showing restaurant owners did, did you walk into some restaurants without an appointment just show them your stuff or did you set up all these appointments how did you go about getting feedback um even now it's about setting appointments it's about networking um for me a, a very good marker is if people are willing to introduce you to other people. Um, no one's gonna, nobody wants to waste their friends or people they know their time. Uh, so if they want to introduce you to important people, if they want to introduce you to their friends, you're probably onto something. Uh, no one's just gonna introduce you to, to some, you know, you've met someone for an hour, they're not introducing you to someone else out of the goodness of their heart. Um, it's because they see value, they, they, they see something amazing. They're gonna be like, hey, meet my friend, he could probably help you guys, help you out as well. And so that for me was a good marker uh, because if you have, if you don't have a crappy, if you have a crappy product, no one's going to be like, hey, meet my friend. Um, he has a restaurant. No, people want to help each other out. So uh, that that was the way I went about it. So when I meet with people, I ask them if I knew somebody else uh, who they could introduce me to, or who could help me out, or maybe it's a restaurant, maybe it's a VC, maybe it's an investor, maybe someone within the industry. Uh, and I just pushed along those lines. Uh, and that's worked out well. Now, we're leveraging Twitter a fair bit and Facebook to reach out to restaurants, uh, to tell them about what we're doing, about a cool little product that we're developing. And we're just moving within the industry like that because that industry at the, at the end of the day is actually fairly small. Um, most people tend to know each other. Um, yeah. Well, well, Ali, I, I want to, I mean, certainly congratulate you on the way you uh, 
demonstrated your networking prowess and <laughs> and actually it's one of the reasons i set this podcast up and and i've in the behind the scenes uh, i've i've introduced so many people over the last uh, six months more than i have done in uh you know the years and years that i've been online and and it's all uh, the result of meeting great people and and hearing great ideas and you just want to spread the idea and help out others and so uh, networking for me is, is and certainly the introductions that and where that can lead you has uh, meant that this podcast has gone on from strength to strength. So um, that's definitely a lesson for the apps of Tribe Listening, is to get out and network like you have and uh, just create something valuable. And uh, if it's spread, then it means you're onto something really good. <laughs> so the restaurants are, are so busy and they get bombarded with sales emails all the time. Uh, whether it's us, whether it's Groupon, whether it's Open Table, Top Table, Yelp, Samara, I mean, the list goes on. Uh, so they get bombarded with emails, people trying to sell them stuff all the time so how do you stand away from stand up from that noise how do you create something they say hey guys we can create value for you um that's the harder bit uh but once you meet with them it's all right but how do you set up that initial meeting how do you get a hold of the person how do you get a hold of the decision maker i think that for us has been far harder in the restaurant world how do you get a hold of the decision maker that hey, well you set up you set up a podcast and then you interview <laughs> them <laughs> <laughs> I should look into uh, that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, it's amazing. People love to, um, you know, I've um, been amazed at, you know, my journey in that um, a few years ago, I was approaching people cold and it was hard to get their time. But, you know, when I start approaching people for interviews on a podcast, then it's a lot easier. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that's uh, the way through the door is to, to set up a restaurant style you know, um, okay. an in a podcast for restaurant owners. There you go. Um, so, so Twitter. Then let's talk a little bit about Twitter because I, um, over the last six months, I've been using Twitter slightly differently, and I, I fell in love with Twitter again. You know, because uh, at a time I almost walked away from it because it was just overwhelming and the timeline trying to keep up with a thousand tweets an hour. It was, um, but I, I've changed my experience. I've gone so much more into the personal engagement and less so just the automatic RSS feeds going into your tweets and all this sort of stuff. How, how do you use Twitter then to approach people? Um, uh, we, I'm sure we can learn some stuff from you. So uh, I'll be very honest. I struggled with Twitter for the longest time. And I think uh, as a founder, when you have to run an entire company, Twitter can just suck up time. Any social media site can just suck up time so quickly. Uh, and then for me, it was really hard to to kind of break that time apart. Uh, we got this amazing person on board and she's just been an absolute rock star for us. Um, and, and the way we go about it is just having conversations with restaurants, being genuine about it, right? So if you go to a restaurant, if you go meet someone, tweeting about it, reaching out to them um, and using the best, the best thing somebody told me about Twitter, it's like IRC of the old day where you can just contact random people. That's what Twitter is. So if you use it to just reach out to people to communicate, it's brilliant. If you use it, uh, for me, if I just use it as a broadcasting, more of an RSS, not so much. Uh, so as long as you create relationships on Twitter, I think Twitter is very helpful because a lot of people will, will, are far more open. You can email a restaurant, you can tweet to them. They'll respond faster on Twitter than they'll do on, on email or even on Facebook for that matter. Facebook message, Twitter or email, Twitter, Twitter trumps all of them. Yeah, I mean, one of my podcasts I did recently, Ali, uh, I ended up going to an event and looking for the hashtag for that event. And I connected with uh, a load of people. And um, I was actually outside the 
uh, event and uh, I wasn't even inside and, and they would come out walking out for a, for an interview. And so, <laughs> it, it, I mean, that wouldn't have happened a few years ago. And I think, you know, it, it, it's wonderful. And I love that. So you actually employed someone dedicated to social media sort of marketing. And is that it's part of your team? I, I guess so. I mean, she, she came on as an intern, um, but then she just started taking over stuff. Um, so I, I, she was definitely not hired to be a social media person, but she's an absolute <laughs> rock star and just, just started taking her stuff off my plate. Uh, and she just managed to think, turn things around for us on Twitter, just reaching out to people, reaching out to people you know, on, on, that, on that platform. Every single one of the social media platform has a different trick to it. I think you just got to crack it. It just takes a little bit longer to crack each one of them. Yeah, we've just had a recent guest who has cracked the, uh, 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 I guess, email capture through uh, a giveaway. And um, yeah, that's is always something new, you know, like, so there's these giveaways now that uh, encourage people to tweet about the giveaway and to uh, post a status update on Facebook and post it on Pinterest. And, and of course, it encourages viral behavior. And uh, our guest, Josh L, he, he ended up capturing uh, 320,000 plus emails with a $70 giveaway. So uh, there's always always new stuff that we can learn. Um, Ali, I really want to talk about your iPhone app and the user experience. And I know that the user experience is incredibly important to you. How did you go about designing the user experience and uh, what, what sort of changes have you made along the way? That was probably the hardest journey out of the lot. Um, I think having looked back, I first of all, I taught myself Photoshop. I got so frustrated with designers. I think I went through about, I must have seen at least about 150 portfolios last year. Um, and we found this guy uh, who's still in college and, and I met him for the first time. We always we worked over Skype. I'd never met this guy. I'd never seen what he looks like. And I met him for the first time last week after the app was launched. And uh, turns out I was his first paid client. And sheer luck. We saw one of his apps, fell in love with it, reached out to him. Uh, and he said no to us. And we kept, on, <laughs> we kept on going back to him. And he finally said, yeah. So he just designed amazing apps for us. And we went back. And it was just small, nitty-gritty things on the app. Um, our developer was has been very good to us. Small, small little animations on the iPhone make such a huge difference. Um, and and being able to see that thing, see that through. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest things we did on the app is, for instance, is we do not let users write reviews on our app. Um, I think the whole review model worked well. Uh, 10, 15, maybe 10 years ago when you were on your desktop and people write reviews. I, I don't know who anyone who would write a 50-word review on their phone. Um, and, and why should I trust this guy? In this day and age, it's all about tapping through things, right? You want to click through, you want to use small little tweets, uh, you're rating, you're tapping through much like an Instagram. So how do you make that journey really easy and simple? And that's kind of what we focused on. How do I get you from point A to point B as fast as possible? You're here. The journey that a customer leads on a phone when they're looking for a restaurant versus what they're doing on their desktop is very different. Uh, and, and for us to recognize that and saying, hey, when you're when you're on your phone, you're, you're there, you're looking for something nearby, you want to know if there's space available, have your friends been there, that's the journey you want to be able to capture. And so that's what we just started focusing on. Um, and sorry, and on the iPhone, it's all about, it's, it's a small little space. How do you put on that much content in a small little space without overwhelming users. I think that's a tricky bit on the iPhone because we have a lot of data. Yeah, I can imagine uh, with the, the thousands and thousands, well, you've got hundreds of thousands of, of uh, 
of reviews and um, you know like data so yeah how do you condense all that down uh, i'm guessing you're you're talking through the the click throughs and and just making it easy for the user to get to the information they need I mean, we we have a, we cover currently we cover about nine thousand restaurants in London, um, close to eight hundred thousand dishes, and every single dish on the platform is location based. So you can type in any dish you want. If there's a place in London serving that dish, we'll find it. So whether it's tuna tartare or truffle mac and cheese or just a kebab, we'll find the nearest place you're serving that dish. We'll show you what the dish is. We'll tell you if your friends have been there. We'll eat, and we'll even show you a picture of that dish. Uh, so you're making the whole food environment very social. Uh, you know, no more hiding behind reviews or anything of that sort. Hey, four of your friends went there, they loved it. Here's the food they've had. Um, by the way, three other critics have been there. Like that, we want to make that journey as seamless as possible. Uh, and so, so providing that data, providing, you know, the restaurant's phone number, the, the menus, the hours, the basic information, the reviews, how do you condense that into a really small little package? I think that was really hard for us. But that's when our designer just helped us out a lot and our developers and everybody else has sat through. Um, my co-founder is, is just an eye for all these details, and he will just, he, small little pixel, he'll notice it. And that's really helpful. It's about building a team around you. They can, they can do things that you cannot. So the other thing I want to pick up on, Ali, is that you just sound like you're having the most amazing time. And <laughs> people listening to this, the Appster Tribe, uh, I, I mean, it, this podcast is to inspire uh, you know, and uh, inspire people to go and join startups or go and start their own business. And I would love to know what it's like to be uh, an average. What, what's what's it like for an average day? You know, are you able to kind of try and encapsulate what it's like to live your life and, and as an entrepreneur and perhaps talk us through what, what it what you do on an average day? I don't think there is anything known as an average day. I, I'll tell you this, right? So I was in corporate America for the longest time. I worked in New York for five years, worked for the banks, worked in consulting firms. Um, I have never been this stressed in some ways, right? But I absolutely enjoy what I do. Uh, running, it's not the work that will end up killing you, it's just a stress factor. Um, how do you get through day by day? How do you manage people? How do you excite people around you? How do you, how do you excite your team around you? How do you continuously innovate on an everyday basis? Um, that is exciting, but at times it's also stressful because you gotta pay the bills at the end of the day. Uh, so it's a bit of a journey. It's a bit of a mad little crazy journey. And every day is something new. It's something exciting. Whether it's your competitors doing something or whether you're creating something. For for us, it's about creating an amazing product. And that's what we focus on. Um, if an investor, for instance, would ask me, hey, do you have an exit strategy? And my simple answer to that is no. My, my job is to make the lives hell of my competitors and to create an amazing product. And if it's there, everything else will follow. Um, so that being said, there, there is no average day, right? Because you're constantly trying to push the boundaries. You're constantly trying to create something exciting, create something amazing, uh, and, and to inspire and, and bring people on board. I think one of the harder things is to find the right people that can be the right match for your team. Uh, so part of my job is, is just making sure that people who work with me need what they, you know, get what they need to, to create amazing products. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that because uh, the apps to tribe listening to this, many of us are looking to work for a startup like yourself, and we want to get noticed. And you obviously have some expertise there, noticing the talent out there. How have you got any advice on how we best can get noticed? So, the people that I found, right? So my designer, I found off of Behance, I think, is a website or Dribble. Uh, we just went through a lot of designs there. I think 
right now it's it's a little bit easier to to put things out there right whether you're designing apps or designing websites you can put them on website on on dribble or behance or any one of the other design websites and just going through them um for me the people that i've hired to date i've realized more than anything else is just persistence uh people who are persistent are far people are persistent and smart and are willing to learn are far better than anybody else. I think experience has been one of the bigger letdowns. I've hired people with tons of experience, um, and that hasn't worked out that well. Uh, to me, it's about hiring people who are smart or persistent, who want to challenge themselves, uh, who who are far more amazing. For for us at Menu Spring, it's all about having fun at work. Right? We come up to we come to work every day. We want to have fun. We want to create something. Um, and that's what we want to do. As long as you're having fun, everything else just kind of flows by. The long hours, are, they're not as bad because you're smiling the entire day. Uh, and then for me, it's, it's about finding the right guys who enjoy themselves, who want to create something. And uh, I mean, for as in terms of recruiting, it's persistence has paid out far more than anything else, I think. Yeah, what I'm learning from that, Ali, is uh, that it's good to get your work out there and to, to showcase it on s- sites like Dribble, yep. and uh, then eventually, you know, good work uh, will mean that uh, your, uh, I guess, you, your opportunities will open up and uh, your work will follow. But, uh, you know, the other thing I just want to pick up on is the fact that you're right. Having fun at work is very important. And sometimes as uh, we're solopreneurs, indie app developers working on our own, we kind of forget what it's like to have a team around us. Are you are you working remotely? Are you in an office there all together? How do you actually work? I mean, to put things in perspective, I did this by myself for about a year and a half before I brought anybody on board. So... It was me in my room talking to guys. Sorry, my developers were all remote in Pakistan um, and talking to them on a daily basis, just getting them, getting things going. I think that I can truly appreciate how hard that is. Uh, Not having someone around you to motivate you, to drive you. How do you get up in the morning every day and motivate yourself to be like, I'm going to create something amazing every day? Or or, Because there are days where it's very tough, where people are going to say no, where people are going to say this is not going to work or things don't work out. How do you power through that? Um, and and so that's part of that journey, I feel like. I think most entrepreneurs will go through it. Uh, it's just you got to power through it and, and have faith and belief in, in creating something. Uh, uh, and and hope that people will notice what you're creating. I, I think that's that's a harder bit. For me, the fundraising bit or people, all these people saying no was, was really hard uh, because I was just by myself. But once you start building people around you, once you start getting noticed, it just gets, it's a momentum game at the end of the day. Uh, and the more positive energy you carry, the better thing you, it will show in your work. I think that's, that's what I realized. Uh, if you're happy or excited, it will show in your work. Yeah. It's almost like going full circle with the, uh, start of this podcast. We we're talking about the theme of traction and, uh, you know, you're talking about momentum there as well. And, uh, you're right. It, uh, it is a bit of a journey, isn't it? The roller coaster ride that we have, and uh, it can be quite disheartening when you're on your own. But to have a team around you that helps lift you, one of the, the things I think that does help people is that uh, they, uh, and I've so, I've started doing this as well as uh, I run a mastermind group, and just having that kind of uh, platform where you bounce ideas off weekly, fortnightly. Uh, in a mastermind group is, is uh, quite effective. How did you keep going for a year and a half? Did you um, did you belong to a mastermind group, or did you have any other habits that you that kept you going through those that roller coaster of a ride? 
I, I still don't know. I think it's sheer stupidity more than anything else. Just, <laughs> I mean, there's there's no there's no rational reason behind it. There is. I mean, looking back at it, there's absolutely no rational reason behind it. Um, you know, our, our apps were failing. The website looked terrible. Uh, I didn't have a team. I didn't have any money. Why? Why did I keep on going? I don't know. I still don't know. Um, I, I call it just stupidity. Um, Made a bit of an ego, I guess, being like, no, I cannot fail. Um, and just your persistence. I think there there is no reason I should be this far. Uh, but it's just it's just powering through it. Uh, when people keep on saying no, you just say no. I can I can do something better. And, and the funny thing about startups is you never escape this, right? To the longest time, you don't escape it. It's the goalpost just keeps on moving further and further away. Uh, you, your team grows, uh, your people grows, the product grows. You you, you continue pushing boundaries. So that. That thing of being like, hey, I can fail tomorrow just never ends. I, I feel like it's never ended for the last three years. You just now you just fail bigger. It's a bigger thing to fail at. Uh, so before if I <laughs> fail, there's like no one would notice. It's like a team of one. It's just, yeah, who cares, right? Now the team just gets bigger. It's a bigger, spectacular failure at this point in time. But uh they just keep but they, you know, you just keep on saying, I cannot fail and just keep on going at it. And you, you hear about random startups that go on through the same journey, right? I mean, Google tried to sell itself to Yahoo for a million bucks. I'm, I guarantee Google wasn't trying to sell Yahoo because they were doing well. Um, they, were, they were probably trying to sell themselves because they weren't doing so well. Um, or the fact that the FedEx guy went and bet, uh, I was FedEx or UPS, they had $4,000 left. He went to Vegas and bet on red or, red or black on a roulette table and said, if I hit, I'll go continue. If I don't, I'll just shut the company down. I have zero money left. I think everyone goes through it and you, you go to that point, your dipping point. You're like, I can't go any lower than this. That's a wonderful journey. I think that's, that's great um, to share that because, you know, often we overlook that, you know, when we start out on our own or we join a startup, you know, we kind of neglect the fact that there are going to be hard times. It's not all, um, uh, you know, like celebrations and big wins, but we got to celebrate those little wins along the way. And as you say, just keep powering through. And it's so inspiring. I've been so inspired by your journey, Ali, as uh, you know, like you, you've gone through and you've created uh, what what now is an, an awesome thing. And you've got uh, obviously a lot of traffic there to your website. Um, you know, in the last few minutes, uh, what would be quite interesting is that you have launched an iPhone app. And how important was it to have the, uh, I guess, the traffic that you had on your website and to point that towards your iPhone? So uh, we haven't pushed it out as much as we'd like to. And every once in a while, um, I, I wonder if, if we still need the website. The website is, is good enough for us. It's not something amazing, not something that I stand behind proudly. Um, the iPhone app, absolutely. And But every single platform they end up releasing on, you're, you're sucking up resources, right? Um, you launch an iPhone app, that requires resources. You launch an Android app, that requires resources. It's not a one-time resource. It's a continuous update. Uh, you launch a website that requires resource. So every bit and pieces that you do requires resource. And, and for us, the realization is that we need to be more mobile focused. Even on our website, 60% of our traffic is mobile. It's people coming from their phones. Um, and yes, it is helpful because we have you know a few hundred thousand people visiting our site. Not few. We have about eighty, ninety thousand people on our site every month. But we now partner with Timeout, TasteGuard, Yelp, Facebook. Um, so all the menus on their side are now powered by us. Uh, so that gives us a lot of traction within the space. Uh, so that is helpful. Uh, but every single one of them sucks up resources. Uh, and I, I think 
even when you create an amazing product, you still got to get the word out. And how do you get the word out is a very tricky little piece that we're still trying to crack. Uh, we're really going to make a push for it once our Android app comes out. Uh, but for us, it was it was reaching out to restaurants first, reaching out to people within the industry, showing them the app, getting feedback from them. Um, and once we were satisfied that they loved us uh, is when we decided, hey, we're onto something. Let's go create something more. Uh, let's create an Android app. Let's update our iPhone app. And then we're going to market it out. Let's make it perfect before you go into this space. Uh, because it is a very, very competitive space. Yeah, and I was thinking as well, when I go onto your website, there's not a like pop-up asking for an email address, um, but we can sign up as well. And then, then I guess when we sign up, we get onto, like, do we get onto a newsletter that, that you keep uh, customers updated on through um, regular email correspondence? Are you, are you using email uh, to uh, just keep people updated? We we have a beautiful blog that's part of ManySpring as well, where we get sign-ups as well. Um, yes, we used to. But again, as a, as a startup and a small smallish team, um, we had to make judgment calls of what was important and where the resources were pointed. Um, and then for us, we decided to take some time off and say, "Hey, we want to we want to create more product. We want to create a product, make it better, improve it before we start reaching out to people." So if people sign up, yeah, let them sign up. We're essentially going to launch properly in a month's time. So end of August, mid August, end of August is where we really start to push our iPhone app or Android app. We have a cool some cool little products uh, that can be part of the apps that come out at that point in time as well. Uh, and that's when we really start making, yes, uh, that, that's when we really start reaching out people. But we did use email historically, but we haven't kept up on a newsletter uh, for some time now. But we're going to launch it again in a month's time. Well, that, that's perfect because this episode will go out uh, at the start of September, just after uh, you start launching in a bigger way. And, you know, what's good is that we sometimes sometimes uh, we obsess with uh, trying to capture email and uh, keep keep uh, the content going with newsletters and stuff. And, and uh, you're right to remind us that, that sometimes that's not the most important thing to be focusing on. Uh, sometimes we need to focus on just the pure the product and the experience for the user. Um, so, uh, Ali, it's been a wonderful um, uh, chat with you. Where best can we reach out and connect with you? How best to to, to get in touch? Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Twitter, uh, I mean, the website itself, it's, it's been, uh, I think that's the easiest way. Or if you have feedback, that'd be brilliant. Uh, uh, if you can break the app, that's extra points uh, because then I know what I need to fix. Um, right, there for, you go. It's a challenge for the apps to try. For, for us, it was, it was also realizing... Here's a tricky bit about the app, right? There's so many apps in the market. If somebody opens it um, and, and they don't like it, and if something doesn't work, for them to open that app again is much, much harder. Why would you? Why should you? Um, there's somebody else probably doing something similar. And so, so for that, when the first time somebody opens up an app, they just got to fall in love with it. And, and that's the only time that you have got that one shot uh, to get someone to fall in love with your app. On the website, I think it's far more, people are far more open to it. But on the, on, on the phone, you have such limited space. Um, you, you have to get them hooked the first time around. That's hard. That's really hard. If somebody else knows how to do it, <laughs> please reach out to right. me. There you go. There's the gauntlet for you listening now. Go and download the app. And if you can break it, then uh, maybe uh, you get uh, the attention of Ali. So um, uh, anyone who wants to get in touch with you, I will put those links on the show notes. Uh, just go to theappguy.co, uh, search for the episode with Ali and Menuspring. And uh, it's uh, episode 129. 
and you'll see all the uh, resources there and the things that we've mentioned as well. Ali, it's been great. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, what an inspirational journey and thanks for bringing the world such an awesome thing and sticking with it and uh, just uh, all the things that you've got going on there. You're welcome back anytime. Happy to help out any way we can and uh, all, all the best with um, the launch of the Android app and uh, then the future for Menu Spring. Thank you, Paul. It, it, it's been, this has been quite fun. Uh, it, it's a good break from my daily schedule uh, to kind of come talk about my own journey. Uh, but uh, do download the app, go play with it, uh, see what you guys can, you know, if you have great ideas about what we can do in the future, please let us know. Uh, as it is, there are about 900,000 dishes on the, on the platform. I'm sure we can satisfy any of your food cravings fairly quickly. <laughs> there's, there's another challenge, you know, to find something that's not on there. I lost a bet on that one, actually. Uh, I, I thought London being London, you'd be able to find any food uh, within the space. Uh, and, and this friend of mine who's from El Salvador wanted pupusa. You know, oh, there's no right place again. in London that serves pupusa. I lost that bet. <laughs> Not oh, happy about I'm, that. I, I'm actually now going to search for deep fried Mars bars and see if they're on there as well. That, that That's there. Somebody challenged me on that oh, one. Ah, I see. <laughs> wonderful great well we're not going to go through 900,000 dishes just now <laughs> see what's on the app you have to go and download it so I encourage you to go and download it thanks thanks Ali and all the best to you thank you Paul thank you for listening to this podcast stay tuned for the next episode if you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone then please send an email to info at onemob.com the app guy podcast 